Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Oh, this is a lot more lighting than this morning. Um, but I at least can see you this time. Usually when we stand up here, we cannot see anything. Um, it's good to be back. It's good to see some many familiar faces. My, I'm starting to lose my voice, so please raise your, your arm or something if, if, if you cannot get what I'm saying at all. Um, I blame Christian for this because it's, this is, you, you would think it would get old after, like, this is the third service, doing the same songs, same worship. It doesn't. Man, we miss this. We miss worshiping beyond the whisper. We miss worshiping loudly and freely, a privilege that we sometimes forget. Um, I grew up in Cairo, Egypt. Um, and, and I told the ushers, my camel was parked outside, out front. <laughs> and um, since I did not see any designated par- parking area, I hope in the new building there, they're considering that. I hope it doesn't get towed. Um, I, I, actually, I have never been on a camel before. Um, I think they're gross. My wife and I are uh, ACAC Gospel Messengers in North Africa. Um, we're not in Egypt. We're in a different place. Because um, I'm going to talk a lot about Egypt today. But we, and we now have a one-year-old uh, son who we had overseas. My mother and sister are um, worshiping with us today, so please make them feel welcomed. Um, they're coming all the way from Indiana. <laughs> like us to start our time uh, with a scripture reading from Mark in chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 17. Verse 17. Jesus, uh, it talks about Jesus and it, it says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all this I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God. 
for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. I like to say that I had an eventful life in a way. And um, while I recognize many faces, um, and so if you haven't met me, you probably have. I just don't look this way always. I, I did shower today. And so I may look a little different. But let me share a little bit of our story with you. Um, we're going to also talk about our field uh, and what God is doing there. My father died when I was a young child, which was difficult, of course. Um, but that was not... It was, it was how we found Jesus. And, and we're so thankful for that, for opening our eyes to his grace. My mother remarried several years later to a pastor. He was Egyptian and a missionary to Muslims and refugees in Egypt. We were pretty close, and we called him dad. He, he practically raised us. And in many ways, we considered him God's compensation in our lives. After many years of growing up without a father, after many years of getting closer to Jesus, it made sense that now God has planted this man in our lives. He's a, he was a truly great man of God who served the community with all his heart. He cared about the glory of God more than anything in the world. He was in our lives for about six years before he got seriously ill and passed away a few months later. I was 18 at the time. I saw his life as a pastor and as a minister and as a missionary. He involved me often in his, in his ministry. He would, you know, I would travel with him, you know, hold his bag, take videos or whatever tasks that he needed. When he died, it was a dramatic moment in our lives. We did not expect it. It, did, it didn't make any sense, which made it a lot hurt, more hurt, hurtful. Because we were sure, man, we had faith that he's going to get healed. It's like there is no way. There is no way God would do this to us again. I also had seen how difficult his ministry was becoming. I was certain and vocal about it, as any 18-year-old would be. That ministry killed him. The exhaustion... The huge need, especially he worked with the refugees in Cairo. The late hours, the radio programs, the conferences, etc. Why would God allow that? Why would you do that, God? He was your man. He was your guy. He was your worker. He told everybody about you. He won so many lives for the kingdom. Why? How? I was mad. I thought to myself, I don't ever want to be in ministry. Never want to be a minister. 
And, and unlike what Pastor Alan was sharing last week, I did not want to be like my dad. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about it. It's way too much work. He was unappreciated by his, the people who he served. And the pay wasn't that good. I mean, we lived by faith as a missionary family. And of course, there's no balanced work life. You know that phrase, a balanced work life? Wouldn't that be nice? But what is with that? What does that really mean? I only heard that here, by the way. In the U.S. Did you notice how we speak about like, the different lives we had? It's like my, my spiritual life is doing okay, but my work life is rough. It's like we have multiple lives. You know, I'm, 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 I'm from Egypt. I, I thought only cats had different lives. <laughs> and I grew up knowing there were seven. And then I came to the U.S., and people are generous here, so there are nine. But in reality, we try to silo out portions of our lives. This, this, this life is good, but I need to work on this area a little more. I mean, excuse me to, to use this, this example. It's like a kid. He's trying to split his mashed potatoes from his peas, right? They cannot touch. If they touch, it's the end of the world. And just like a kid, we have God over here. We, have, we got the stuff that we don't want God to touch over here. We have relationships over here. We have business over there. We want everything to be balanced. And let me tell you now that God is not interested in balanced. God is not interested in balanced. God is into radical discipleship and faithful following. Jesus' whole life was given for us and, our, and us given to him. This is what he's into. Jesus takes this plate, right, and just... <laughs> get them peas everywhere. And this is what the rich young ruler was trying to say. Like, Jesus, teacher, I got my life together. I'm young. That's going on for me. I'm rich. I got my economical life stable. I'm a ruler. I have a great career. I got these old portions of my life. I mean, I follow the law. I'm a good son. I'm a good citizen. Good reputation, moral excellence. I'm respected. I'm even humble. I'm coming saying that I lack something. You see? The same story is mentioned in multiple Gospels. And in Matthew 19, the same story is told, but he phrased it differently. And when Jesus tells him, go follow, follow the commandments, his response was, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? Still. 
You're like, I've got all these good. Like, what, what do I need to add? And it's like, Jesus, something you add to your plate. It's the gravy you put on there. You can live without it, but it's good to add it. It's a section of the life. He got that wrong. And asked him, ask him, what should I do? Like, living with Christ is something you can do. Something you can add or something you can do. And it's neither. And Jesus hears this and, answer, and answers him in a shocking way. Radical answer. The Greek word here actually says that the young man became gloomy and left grieving. Jesus' answer was, well, great. Go sell all your possessions. Whoa. The young man's thinking, what does my money have to do with anything? I'm asking a spiritual question here. You know, this is theological. Let's keep it theological. How did we get to money? Jesus responds to him with a radical plan for his life. He says to him that there is no difference between the different parts of your life. They are all spiritual, and Jesus wants all of it. People often ask us the same thing. Uh, something similar. How do you do business in a, in a foreign land? Is it a real business or is it like a five-hour-a-week kind of thing? But when do you have time for ministry if you're working? What about your spiritual visions and goals? These are all great questions. These are our family and friends. And our response is always, it's all one and the same. Our ministry life is not separate from our business life. It's the same life. My wife always says, if I work at a Starbucks, I should be a light at that Starbucks. That's right. That's right. We run a legitimate business with kingdom values and integrity. Through business, we can easily, we easily build organic and authentic relationships with our clients, with our coworkers, with our suppliers, with our vendors, with our employees, with our neighbors. It's a, it's a normal life. It's an authentic life. It's a clear identity. The first thing people ask us, what do you do? Second question, why did you come from America? Everybody wants to move here. For some reason. But we live an authentic life through that business. We also have legal residency because we're business owners. And on top of that, we bless the community with jobs. We, bless our, we can bless our local church. There is no dual life. There is no schizophrenia going on. It's one life and it's all for Jesus. Our work is for his glory. Our marriage is for his glory. Our relationships are for his glory. Our business is for his glory. And our family is for his glory. It's... He is all in all. He's Alpha and Omega. He is Lord. Let me push a little further because you still like me. 
So that's... When I first moved to the States, I heard a new phrase that I really liked, which is, and I heard it in the church, by the way. I mean, I was in the Midwest, so this is pretty common. Family first. It sounded so nice. I'm like, this is so cool. And especially when you hear it from a man, right? I got to take care of my family first. Like, this is awesome. I'm all about family. I come from a communal culture, community-oriented culture. It's very difficult to explain to a Middle Eastern what a nursing home is. Because this is, you take care of your family. It's not a thing. But the more I, I mean, I really like that phrase. And I started repeating it, right? And the, but the more I study scripture, I couldn't find it anywhere. What I could find is, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What, could have, what I could find is that there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or land without, who will not receive a hundredfold. What I could find is that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The man found it, covered it up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. When we, first started, when we first started our family, we were both moving overseas as single people. We knew our calling was not easy. We had to have some hard conversations. I remember exactly where we had him. But we had to be on the same page because while we love one another deeply, God's glory will always come first. And this is a really difficult conversation to have, saying, you know, you know honey, I love you, but you're not first. God's glory comes first. Is it hard? Absolutely. What does it look like? Selfless. It's understanding. It's focused on the Lord alone. And it's a blessing to the whole community. Because my wife doesn't have to share me but she chooses to for the glory of God. To back up a little bit. For several years after my dad died, um, I was still involved in church. I, I, I would still lead worship and play music. Um, and God was doing some awesome stuff, but life was good. You know, I, were, I had a really good job. I'm an architect by training. So I worked for a really good company. I made really good money. And I had good ministry, you know, concerts of thousands of people. And people are coming to Jesus. Life is great. Life is good. Comfortable. Comfortable. Or let's, let's, not, let's call it that. Let's call it something more spiritual. Um, blessed. I was blessed. The fact is, the world is not going to glorify Christ because they see that Christians are wealthy and healthy and prosperous. There is a reason for that. That is what they live for. 
You use Jesus to get it. They use other means to get it. They're not impressed. Jesus is the ticket, and when the show starts, you throw the ticket away. They're not impressed by your ticket. How is that attractive to the world? I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because I want them to be impressed. They're not impressed with us when we're comfortable. And I don't want us to spend our lives like that. Because God, God has a radical plan for you. And, and what, what you need to do, you don't, you don't have to seek that plan, by the way. God is going to make it known in time. But God has a radical plan for you. And what you need is, what I need is to believe that there is a radical plan for me. And keep my eyes wide open for that plan to happen. And be available for that plan to happen. And not fill my schedule so I can see when the plan is happening. Because God owns your schedule. In, this, in the midst of this comfortable, blessed time, life that I had, God calls me to serve him. And I completely reject it. I point blank, point blank reject it. And I said, I can't. I did the Jonah thing for a while. Um, six months later, I end up in seminary somehow. <laughs> here in the U.S., and then on a gloomy Sunday morning in 2013, I remember the day very well, I woke up late. I did not want to go to church. It was one of those days. I just didn't, didn't want to talk to anyone. And so, but there's something nudged me deeply, like, oh, you, you probably should go today. So I said, okay, I'm going to go late and leave early, right? So I don't talk to anyone. <laughs> so I go to church. I get there during the last song. I have no idea what the song is about. I have no idea what the scripture was. I don't remember anything that the pastor said. Nothing. All I remember is God cornered me that day and told me, I want you to serve me. And I want to send, I will send you somewhere hard. And if you didn't catch on that, if you're from Egypt, somewhere hard is not good. What he said was shocking. God did, why did you bring me to the U.S. if you want to send me back? What are my mother and sister going to do? This time I said yes. I learned my lesson. My questions were different. My questions the first time God called me to ministry were like Zacharias, right? Doubting questions. This time were Mary questions. Believing questions just to know how. I learned my lesson. I was ready to go. And I started looking for the hardest places to go. But God's timing was not mine. Five years later, <laughs> I finally go on a scouting trip to North Africa. Within a year, I meet my wife. We get engaged. We get married. We leave our jobs. We sell everything and move overseas. Because it happened very quickly, it seemed easy to a lot of people. Like we don't care. Like we gladly are leaving you. But I can assure you it was not easy. Leaving our parents, our siblings, our home, our 
friends, our church, our ministries, our lives all together. I can tell you more about many sleepless nights weeping to the Lord. This is difficult. And in the midst of all that, I remember this passage, and God was consoling and encouraging us in many different ways. So we, so we kept our eyes wide open for his radical plan, for the next step. When things got difficult, we kept our eyes open. When we got stuck overseas because of COVID, we kept our eyes open to see what God's plan is. When we had to have our baby in North Africa, I remember God's promise in this passage. When business wasn't going well and we had to spend all our savings to keep it alive, we had to hang on to the Lord and keep our eyes open. I thought this was the mess, what, what, the, what the passage is about. You know, it cannot get harder, harder than this. As many of you know, we serve in a Muslim country. It's illegal to be a Christian. You lose everything if, if accept, you accept Jesus. But you know what? God is on the throne. People are finding Jesus and risking everything for him. There is openness, especially among the young generation. They see that Islam is not working. God is making himself known. We were very blessed to be involved in the local church as soon as we got there. Many people take them, takes them years, if ever, um, working with the local church. And, uh, and it was, and it's, he's now, the, the, the local leader is one of my dearest friends now because actually we got immediate connection because he was discipled by the same pastor who discipled me. So as soon as he knew that, he, like, we, there was immediate trust, there was immediate, you know, good relationship going. But the local church is underground and has to meet in homes. Uh, our house actually has been the main location for a couple of years now. And uh, the more I serve with the local church that is underground, illegal, tries to stay off the radar as much as possible, the more I understand this passage that we read today. Because I thought it was hard for me. How prideful. The local believers in the Muslim world are embodiment of what Jesus is referring to in this story. These believers are living a radical faith in the midst of unimaginable hardships and opposition. Let me tell you a couple of stories about this radical faith. One of uh, my good friends, a local believer, one of, one of the most committed people to Jesus I've ever seen. Full of faith, loves God. And after a long time of working together and being good friends, he finally told me his story and that he, when he became a believer, his wife left him and that he hasn't seen his son for over a decade. He's not allowed to. Can you imagine? This guy now, because I've been friends with him for years, 
I'm seeing him on the other side, right? He's been, he's been keeping his eyes open, right? And waiting for God's radical plan. I'm expecting it. And it's finally happening. And I was blessed enough to see that it's happening. God has, has sent him, after all these years, a godly wife to be in his life. But it took many, many years. He stayed faithful. Um, in the last few months, we met a couple. Um, they have been a local couple. They've been believers for 11 years. And they have not, they had not met a believer, another believer, until this year. They ran into a missionary somewhere. He was selling his car or something. And this missionary introduced him to me because they had accepted Christ through a, an Egyptian preacher on TV. I sat with them the first time. I remember this joy, unbelievable joy. Any, any new believer, they have to go through a process to, be, to make sure they're, they're, they're believers and make sure that they're safe to include in the local church. But from the first meeting, you cannot fake that. You can, you can fake anything. You can learn all the theology words, but you cannot fake that joy. You cannot fake that peace. You cannot fake that thirst. The first time they asked me, they're like, what's communion? Do we have to travel somewhere to take it? I'm like, God, where, where has my hunger and thirst gone? I sat with the husband one time. We met later in the evening. And he opens his phone and he pulls up a Bible app and he's marked all his questions. So we're going book by book, chapter by chapter, asking questions. I'm like, we got to leave at some point. It was 3 a.m. <laughs> Thirsty. And we can easily sit comfortably in, in church and when something we don't like, we're, we're really upset about it. When we don't see what the world is going through to even find the word, to find someone to ask. Because for 11 years, all his teaching he got from TV, which we're thankful for that. But he couldn't ask anyone. Thirst. For 11 years, radical faith. He kept his eyes open for God's radical plan. And it's finally happening. Last story I want to share from the field is that there's another couple, been in the faith for a long time, very known in the community. Last year they had a very difficult um, situation when they, uh, they lost their youngest son, 12 years old, hit their only boy, and he wasn't, he wasn't sick or anything. He, he was with us the week before for church camp. And within a week, he got sick and passed away. And you know what? That's not the hardest part. The respective families came from their cities, their origin cities, for because of the funeral. And you know what? They were pointing fingers at the father 
at the mother. God is punishing you because you've left Islam. God is punishing you. Took your son because you've left the faith. In the midst of their brokenness, they've stayed faithful. That's radical faith. God is doing something amazing in missions. Radical. The mission world is changing. And if we don't keep up with that change, we're going to miss it and we're going to take us years to catch up. Two big changes are happening. The first one is that God now is send, calling and sending people with business and technical skills to be missionaries. This, the time is just going to live among a group of people to tell them about Jesus is, not, is, is, is ending in the Muslim world. It's ending in many places, but at least in the Muslim world. It's too suspicious and it's strange. The internet opened the world up. God is leading more and more missionaries to start businesses, to be a light and bless their community and live missionally in the marketplace. The second thing, and more importantly, God is calling and sending people from all around the world. It is no longer just white people going overseas. God is doing amazing work in the African-American church, in the Latino church, in the Asian church, even the Arabic-speaking church and others. I mean, look at us. We're an intercultural, intercultural couple, and it's giving us so many advantages on the field. But we have in our city, which is not a big city, by the way, missionaries from every ethnicity. We have African-Americans. We have a group, actually a big group uh, uh, from South America and from Mexico who actually had to learn English first. They spent their first year learning English. Then they started learning the local language so, so they can communicate with their team. We have a significant group from Korea that serves in our city. God's doing some awesome work. In fact, our, our big vision is to teach and equip and coach Arabic-speaking believers because God is calling people from the Arabic-speaking believers and no one knows how to send them. So our vision is to send them opening different businesses all around the Middle East, all around the 1040 window. We've been involved already in seven different bands, which is businesses missions. Businesses that are run by missionaries or for missions. Seven. The world of missions is radically changing. But you know what? God has a radical plan for you. And stop looking around. I'm talking to you. <laughs> not for the person next to you. Not for the person you know that should be here in this message. God has a radical plan for you. You. And stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm 30 minutes and I'll be done. I'll be done. 30 seconds. 30 seconds.
God has a radical plan for you. He's saying tonight, sell your positions and follow me. I have a radical plan for you. You can, you can, you know, ignore me and say, oh, I got no money. This is not about money. This is about your treasure. Where is your treasure? Whatever your, wherever your treasure is, are you ready to give it away and follow Jesus? Are you ready to give it up? So he would be your treasure and nothing else. Not your money. Not your family. Not your career. Not even your kids. Not even your ministry. He is the treasure. Jesus. Treasure Jesus so he is first in your life. No longer split our life into sections like potatoes and peas. It's one life. It's all spiritual. It's all for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you because you choose to partner with us in your mission. Thank you that you don't need us, but you choose us to be your partners to change the world. Lord, I thank you because you're the source of all things. I thank you that our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you come with more clarity on your radical plan to each and every person listening to this word right now. In this room, online, that you would come and show them. Zoom in. Zoom in a little bit with your, with your lens, God, to show them the next step of your radical plan. Lord, I pray for openness in the lives of each of us that we, we can keep our eyes wide open. Lord, I pray for radical faith and radical mission work in this church, in this congregation, in each person here, that it would change the area, it would change the neighborhood, it would change the city in the name of Jesus. God, you haven't called us to a a comfortable, middle-class, easy life. You have a calling for us, and it's something radical. And please, God, help us see it. Help us not miss it with all our busyness and all our full schedules. Thank you, God, that we can pray at any time and ask with the name that's full of authority, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand to your feet if you would. We talked about it last week. Missions is not a side dish. It's not something we opt into or sign up for. God has called every one of us to be a missionary where we're at. I loved what he said 
is that how missions is changing. And what that means for you and I is wherever you may work, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a student, if you're retired, God has you right where you're at, and that is your mission field. So, Lord, open our eyes to that. Before you leave, I do want to remind you of a couple things. One, take advantage of our immigrant immersion experience. You missed it. It was during this hour today. But the next two weekends, you have an opportunity to do that. You can visit our website or get information. At the, it, It's a phenomenal thing for you to experience. So that's happening the next two weeks. Also, if you are a guest today, uh, my name is Alan. I'm the lead pastor here. Or if you're fairly new to our church, in about 60 seconds, I am going to be out to my left with several of our staff. We have a meet and greet today. We would love to just meet you face to face, hear your story, and answer any questions that you have. So that's to my left. There's a visitor center out in our lobby. If you're fairly new to the church, you don't have to be new today, maybe in the last six months, I'd love to meet you there. Let me say a benediction as I dismiss. Father, you have called us to fulfill your mission. Every single one of us, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of the amount we have in our bank account. So open our eyes. Let us um, leave today not just saying, wow, what a great service, or that was super motivating. Let us leave and apply it to our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.